Today's reading is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Please listen now to the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live up self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. It's great to be with you once again. Uh, please pray with me. Gracious God, we are so thankful uh, for this day that you have made. Uh, as we now uh, are in the last week of Advent, uh, as we look forward in just a few days to celebrate together the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so God, help us now uh, to celebrate, to hear once again your good word for us, to hear once again your good news of great joy. And in that hearing God, let that word take deep root and shape us so that we may live lives that are pleasing to you and help to bear witness and to bring light into the world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We began the Advent season with Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Then we heard from Anna, who spoke to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And last week, we considered Joseph of Arimathea, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Today, on this final Sunday of Advent before Christmas Day, we hear from Paul's letter to Titus about waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for our blessed hope. Titus, whom Paul calls his true child in the faith, has been left on the island of Crete, and his mission, like a good Presbyterian, is to put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. The Apostle Paul then quotes a supposedly local prophet's words, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then he adds, this testimony is true. This, of course, is an offensive characterization of an entire population, and it would be completely unacceptable today. He'd get flagged on Twitter for making a fraudulent claim. It's one of those sentences that we wish Paul didn't write. But his broader point, however, is to contrast ungodly living in general with that of Christian living. So in the verses before our reading today, Paul had outlined how differently Christian leaders and servants ought to look and how differently older men and women should behave to encourage and to set an example for the younger generation. His moral exhortation is actually pretty generic and calls the church to be good and kind and loving in contrast to the stereotyped ungodliness of the surrounding culture. 
someone said facetiously that the motto of their denomination ought to be, we're nice and we think you should be too. I suppose if we leave it at that, it would be very agreeable to most people and not controversial at all. However, what follows is our reading from today, which offers this pivotal rationale that makes Christian discipleship unique and different from every other system of morality. Verses 11 through 14 forms one long run-on sentence in both Greek and in English. It might be bad grammar and unnecessarily complicated, but it's very good theology and entirely simple. The key to the long sentence rests on this opening phrase, for the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. Everything else hangs on this fundamental truth. This is the message of Christmas. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. As we just heard in Pastor Dohi's sermon, remember what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you, to each of you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all people. This is good news of great joy. You know, people have been waiting for this day, for this appearing, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Simeon and Anna, along with the Magi and the shepherds, were especially blessed in that they saw and recognized the appearing of God's grace, God's Savior, in Jesus at his birth. Everyone else, including us, had to wait. They had to wait. And the people of Jesus' day had to wait until Jesus grew up. And when Jesus appeared as an adult, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, most people still didn't recognize that the grace of God had appeared. Even John, the baptizer, even though he had baptized Jesus, even though he had declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even he wasn't sure that the waiting was truly over. When he was in prison, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? And Jesus had to reassure him that he in fact is the one. And I declare to you this day that Jesus is the one. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus is the one. The waiting is over. Jesus is the grace of God who has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Now it's clear from the other writings of Paul that he is not suggesting that everyone is automatically or universally saved. Rather, he's pointing out that the grace of God is broad enough to bring salvation to all. It is available to all because it is grace. It is not conditioned upon or limited by religiosity, education, race, gender, age, politics, or any other identity marker. It is the grace, the unmerited favor of God that has now appeared. 
you might recall that in the Christian calendar, Christmas starts on Christmas Day, but it continues to Epiphany on January 6th. That's why we have the 12 days of Christmas and why I've, uh, why I've encouraged you over the years um, not to take your Christmas tree down or to throw it out until the 6th of January. The season of Epiphany, nestled between Christmas and Lent, celebrates this revelation of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, this word Epiphany appears in our reading today. For the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ. This word appeared comes from a, uh, from a word in Greek from which we get the English word epiphany, meaning a sudden revelation or insight. Outside the Bible, this word was sometimes used to describe the rising of the sun. Jesus' birth and coming, his advent, is like that. As Matthew 4 recognized, that in Jesus, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Or as C.S. Lewis remarked, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The grace of God has appeared as a great light, and that grace informs and transforms all of our living. So even though we are celebrating the birth of Jesus in this season, as verse 14 reminds us, it's not just about the birth. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, and he will give himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The appearance of God's grace was to redeem us as a special possession for himself and that redemption takes place on the cross. Jesus gives himself for us. And even though we may not explicitly hear about the cross in the Christmas birth stories, both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke weave in the larger story of redemption and the cross into their telling of the birth story. Matthew, for example, does this by having the family narrowly escape the murderous efforts of King Herod and taking refuge in Egypt. Herod does not succeed, but he anticipates those who will come later and eventually succeed in crucifying Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we heard at the beginning of Advent, Simeon's prophetic words to Mary, foreshadowing the opposition Jesus will face throughout his life. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There is also another connection that Luke makes with the word that unfortunately gets mistranslated and has been embedded into the popular imagination of our collective consciousness. We remember that there was no room for Jesus at the inn. But this word inn, or kataluma, as you have heard before, is better translated as guest room as it is in Luke twenty-two eleven. 11. 
In Luke's gospel, these are the only two times that this word appears. Jesus is aware in using this word that the same kind of space that described his birth is where he is celebrating the last supper with his disciples before the, before the cross. The shadow of the cross is and must be present even in the celebration of his birth because it is the cross that will make grace and salvation possible for us. That is the first appearing, the first epiphany, the first advent brought grace. The second appearing will bring glory. Paul says, this is our blessed hope. And notice that Paul says, we are waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul asserts that Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. This is one of the clearest statements that we have in the Bible of Jesus's divinity. Jesus is not only our Savior, he is our God. His coming to us in his first appearing was as the grace of God, as a human being for our salvation. But in his second appearing, he will return as our great God and Savior in glory. I know that the tendency in many churches is to celebrate the first appearing of Christmas Day with great joy, but then to frighten about the second coming, the second appearing with doom and gloom and with the speculative terrors of the apocalypse. Admittedly, that is a part of it, but it is not what ought to consume us. We are reminded today and elsewhere throughout the scriptures that those who have experienced the first epiphany and are living in the grace of God, the second coming, the second advent will also be a time of great joy as well as of triumph and of glory. Grace will be followed by glory. So we now live waiting in eager anticipation of the second coming in between these two epiphanies. And in that living, Paul reminds us, we are in training. The grace of God saves us, but it also leads us to train. Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Elsewhere, Paul will give examples of ungodliness and worldly passions, such as sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, envy, idolatry, fits of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talks, sorcery, divisions, dissensions, drunkenness, and so on. As recipients of grace, we reject such ungodly behavior, and we no longer pursue the things that offer no true satisfaction and salvation. But renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions is just half the equation. Grace not only calls us to renounce and to reject ungodliness, it also trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This is the good news of repentance. We turn from the false path of ungodliness and turn toward the true path of God's grace. The grace of God leads us to be good neighbors, to be self-controlled, 
that is to be in our right minds, to be upright, that is to be righteous and just, and godly, that is to be holy and moral. It may not be as exciting or as compelling as an angelic choir singing in the middle of the night, but it seems to me that in this day and age, our world could use some good neighbors who are in their right minds, who are just toward others and leading moral lives. As John Calvin wrote in his commentary on Titus, the manifestation of the grace of God unavoidably carries along with it exhortations to a holy life. This is how we live in light of the advent and of the advent to come. We look back to the past with gratitude to the grace of God that appeared in Jesus Christ on Christmas day, the appearance that led to our redemption on the cross by grace. And at the same time, we look forward to the future, to our blessed hope, to the glory of God that will appear when Jesus Christ, our great God and savior will return to complete our salvation. As it says in Hebrews nine, Jesus will appear a second time, not to deal with sin the second time, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The appearing of the grace of God in Jesus on Christmas gives us the confidence of our blessed hope of his coming again. And it is this hope that sustains and shapes our living together. We live in anticipation like those in Luke 12, those who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So let me encourage you, especially in this season of waiting for virtual and remote life to end, for this year to be over and hoping for a better new year, to wait for the appearing of Jesus Christ with blessed hope. Remember the words of Isaiah 40, even youths faint and be weary and young men fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Remember that God is one who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Let's wait for the Lord with faithfulness, with all who have experienced the coming of grace in Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Thessalonians, wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's wait for the Lord together with holiness and godliness, as Paul writes in Romans, groaning eagerly, inwardly, as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's wait for the Lord together, patiently, not overlooking this one fact, as Peter too tells us, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And let's wait for the Lord with a persevering church that has been waiting for 2,000 years, or two days by the Lord's count. Let's wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's wait for the Lord in the knowledge 
as Paul reassures Timothy, that for those who have loved his appearing, there is a crown of righteousness awaiting us. There is a crown of righteousness awaiting us. And let's wait for the Lord, keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In what has been, I know, a very difficult year for many of you, in looking ahead to an uncertain year ahead, listen again to the words of the angelic messenger. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. The grace of God has appeared, and Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, will come again in glory. So as we live between these two epiphanies, let's join with Simeon and all who are waiting for the comfort of his coming. Let's join with Anna and with all those who are waiting for redemption of his coming. And let's join with Joseph of Arimathea and all who are waiting for the kingdom of God in his coming. Let's join with all the faithful across all lands and across all times and say together, come Lord Jesus, come. Please pray with me. Lord, we are so thankful that you came. We're so thankful